This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, I'm excited to be with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us together for the next 35 minutes or so. And let's just go ahead right now and call out about uh, the way that, that probably half of us are feeling just under the surface right now. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Raise your hand. I promise I won't call on you, but you're going to have to like join me. Raise your hand. How many of you, to be honest, we still have Christmas shopping to do. We're T minus four days. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Okay, put it down. I know. It's just, ugh, you're not supposed to do that to me in church. How many of us still have shopping for that Christmas family dinner to do? Yeah, 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 it's there. How many of us still have to pack for our family vacation? And now the kids are home. It's like that adds a whole nother. Um, let's see, how many of us haven't picked out our Christmas Eve outfit yet, but we're, we're working? Yeah, yeah. Most of you have. That's a confession. I actually have too. So you're not alone. I'll be wearing something on Christmas Eve I've never worn in my life. Very, yeah, well, don't get too excited too soon. But my wife liked it. So uh, the reason I'm asking is because we're all coming in and like at least half of us have this like, oh, this underlying. When I say Merry Christmas, all you think is, I got so much to get done. And all I want to say right now is to the best of our ability, let's just acknowledge that and let's just set it down, set it aside for like 35 or 40 minutes Because I think if you can set it aside for just a few minutes and you can engage with the topic that we're talking about, when you go to pick that up this afternoon or tomorrow or December 24th at 2 a.m., whenever you choose to pick that back up, I think it'll be easier for you. So let's just set it down for a few minutes uh, and go ahead. And what you can do right now just to get us on the same page is inside your program, grab your card that says start here. It's our connection card. And uh, this will just help us, help us connect with you. It'll help you connect with us and the things we're doing in Petaluma and around the world. Seriously, most importantly, though, we want to be the church that helps you connect with God. So when you're ready to do that, to start connecting with God at a deeper level, our prayer is that we can be the church that can guide you on that journey and partner with you. The other thing you can grab are your teaching notes. We've only got one fill in the blank that we're just going to kind of zoom in on, narrow in on all day long. And I'll just warn you, for those of you who are avid note takers, who are avid, you know, just follow along point by point, I'm skipping a whole Bible verse in there. So you type A people, I know you're going to, oh, it's going to freak you out. Just let it go, man. You don't have to come tell me afterwards. I know I forgot it. I left it out on purpose. Just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. And I want you to think, how many of you, this is fun. We're like, whoo, we're raising our hand. We're getting our workout. That's good. We had a lot of Christmas cookies this week, getting our workout. How many of you love music? Just love music. Just love it. Yeah, I love music. I really do. Uh, I had various musical phases throughout my life, and I'll share one of those at our rocking Christmas services on the 23rd at 6.30, the 24th at 5.30. But I want to share with you a different phase of music today. It was a college phase, and I want to talk about my, my best concert experience, because I love live music. My best concert experience. And then I want to talk about my worst concert experience. My best concert experience and my worst. And neither one of them has anything to do with music. My best concert experience, I was about 19 years old, going to Sonoma State, and I was in a, a ska phase. I love ska music and punk music, and yeah, I know it's hard to picture. I realize that, but I was that kid who, here's what I would do. I would buzz my head, and I would bleach it, not for the amount of time it said on the package, but until my head felt like it was blistering, because uh, that's when you get a deep burn, and then I'd wash it out, and then I'd let my hair grow for like two months till it was long and spiky with 
dark roots and bleached hair. And if you take your pencil, if you're taking notes, and you start at the tip and work your finger down to just where it turns yellow, I had holes that big in my ears. So this was me. I was a punk kid. And, um, and one of the bands I really liked was a band called Save Ferris. Anybody remember Save Ferris from the 90s? Uh, and Save Ferris was playing at the Phoenix Theater, and I, I knew someone who was doing the promotion of it, and I, I begged her, and she gave me her backstage all-access pass to the Phoenix Theater to save Ferris. It was the, you know, the big one. So I was that kid, by the way. I was that kid that night walking across the street that you almost run into. You know that kid that's saying, I dare you to try to kill me as they walk across the street to the Phoenix? That was me. Here's why you don't kill that kid. He could be your pastor someday. So... And I remember walking in to the Save Ferris concert and, uh, and having this pass. I got to go backstage and meet the band, and they introduced themselves. I said, well, I'm Kevin Finkbinder, because I felt like that should mean something to them. It didn't, but we had a great conversation. I got to sit in the green room with them. I got to be side stage when the music started. I think we've got some Save Ferris music. I think we're going to play it just to get you in the mood. This is what I was experiencing. Uh, it's coming. Right? Like, who's, who just wants to start a mosh pit right now? Anybody? So I'm, I'm backstage as the music's playing, and I'm watching the band. Come on, Ali. That's how they hold their microphones. It's really cool. And um, I got the urge at some point. I don't know why I got the urge, but I got the urge, and I ran out on stage at the St. Paris concert, and, it was, and I just I dove off the stage, and I started crowd surfing. If you've never experienced this, it's like hundreds of hands touching you and violating all over your body. <laughs> It's a unique experience that I never want to have again. But in the moment, it's like, uh, it was was amazing. Best concert experience ever, ever, ever. And when you've had an all-access pass, you never want to go back to the cheap seats again. You know what I mean? Like, you never want to go nosebleed. And that's where I've been ever since, nosebleed. But I remember that day. I'll meet the band, hang out, get to talk to them, side stage, stage diving, crowd surfing. It was like, yeah. That was my best concert experience. My worst concert experience came my first year of marriage with my wife, Maria. And her father plays the accordion. (laughs) And my grandfather's mother played the accordion. And if you've been in Petaluma or the surrounding area for any period of time, you know that every August in Katati, they have an accordion festival, a whole, a whole festival around accordions. And so, so they're pressuring us. My in-laws in Illinois and my, par- my grandparents in Southern California are pressuring us to go to the accordion festival. For years, my grandfather had like, you got to go, you got to go. This is a family thing. So finally, we decided to go. And we get to the gate, and it was all fenced in. It's the parking katati, all fenced in with chain link fence with that green-like stuff so you can't see in up around it. And we get to the gate, and I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be free, because let's be honest, who, who, who pays to go to an accordion festival? So, so we walk up to the gate, and we're thinking we're going to walk in. They're like, oh, excuse me, sir. I'm like, yes? That will be $20 a person. And we're, our first year of marriage, 20-somethings, we had a decision to make at that point. Are we going to spend $40 to listen to this? And let's just, let's just I just want you to... You know, like, are we, we're going to spend $40 to listen to that. Or, I could hear it, right? There's a chain link fence with the green stuff, but I could hear the music just fine. And it was not calling to me. 
So we said, well, thank you anyway, but we're actually just going to pass today. And we went around the corner to where the fence was, and Maria's only 5'3", so you, if you would have seen us that day driving by Katati, you would have seen me lifting her up to peek her eyes over at the, so we could say we've been there. We, we want, you know, and then you would see me listening to polka music like a fish trying to jump up over the top looking at polka, and it was the worst concert experience, the worst experience I've ever had, and it had nothing to do with music. It had everything to do with access, with access to the band, to the artist, to get in there. There's something about having all access that takes you from, from spectator to participant. There's something about access that you're not just watching a show. You know the artist. You know the creator. And somehow the show becomes more special, more real, more powerful when you know the one who created the music to start the show. You're not, you're not sitting in the cheap seats when you have an all-access pass. When you have an all-access pass, baby, you get to go anywhere, anytime. You just show them your pass, and you are in. You're in. And we are rounding the corner on a series that we're calling Jesus Is. And this series comes from some words Jesus said late in his ministry. He was talking to his closest friends, his followers, and they said, we want to know God. Would you show us God? And Jesus said this, if you want to know God, if you want to know what he thinks, what he says, if you want to know who he loves and what he hates and where he goes and what he does, Jesus said this. He said, he said, all you got to do is look at me. Just look at me. And in that simple statement, he said, I am God. If you want to know God, know me. If you want to see God, see me. And so we took that phrase and we said, well, what would it look like then to look at Jesus' birth and ask this question? What does Jesus' birth show us about God? And so for four weeks, we've been looking at that because Jesus is the only person who got to choose where he was born, when he was born, and whom he was born Two, what does Jesus' birth show us about God? And today, as we walk towards Christmas, what I want to do is I want to explore the reality of the all-access pass. And I'm going to say something in just a second, that if you were raised in a church like New Life, or if New Life is your first church experience, the thing I'm about to say to you is going to seem like no big deal. Like, of course, of course, of course. But if you were raised in almost any other faith tradition, or if you were raised in a lot of churches that are, are Christian churches, but of a certain type, what I'm about to say to you is going to seem like a really big deal. In fact, what I'm going to say to you is going to seem almost sacrilegious. And you're going to wonder, can you actually say that? But the truth is, Jesus' birth shows us this. No other major religion would ever claim what I'm about to say to you. And in fact, until worship came on, until worship, until Jesus came on the scene, no one would have claimed this about the God of the Bible. But when Jesus came on the scene, his birth shows us, this is our one fill in the blank. So if you're a note taker, you're about to get 100%. This is our one fill in the blank. Jesus' birth shows us that God wants to give you and he wants to give me an all-access pass to himself. To himself. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, that's no big deal. I, I know that. I want to tell you, there, there's one of two reasons why you might be thinking that right now. One, maybe you've never actually thought about it. That the God of the universe, big God, creative God, wants to give you access to him. Maybe you've just never actually thought about it. Or, and this might be, Actually, the thing for some of us in this room today, for more of us, would be this. You've heard it, 
too many times. And it's lost its punch. It's just, it's just, it's lost its punch. So we want to look at this for the first time. We want to look at it brand new. As much as we can, we want to turn off what we've heard and, and tune in to Jesus. Because here's the deal. The God of the universe wants to give you all access. He wants to give you and me face-to-face, front-row, personal access to himself. He wants to talk to you. He wants to listen to you when you talk to him. He wants to give you a backstage, crowd-surfing, all-access pass to himself. And here's the great thing about God. God has always designed for you and I to have that type of relationship with him. From the beginning of the world, God's great desire was for to give you access to him, to have an all-access pass with you. And that's one of the things that makes the God of the Bible unique from all other gods and goddesses and world religions. About 14 months ago, I was traveling to India, and we were in a bus with our hosts, and we were going out to this little country church where I was going to be preaching for the afternoon. And we went by a, a Hindu temple, and it was, it was a, a strange thing as I walked by. There were hundreds of people walking across the street to this temple, but they were almost in a trance. They were kind of like just slowly waving their bodies back and forth and walking in, kind of like the people going to the Phoenix Theater for the Safe Ferris concerts, walking in a trance. So much so that they actually bumped into our van. And we were going about two miles an hour. They were bumping into our car and like going around in, in this trance. And I asked our guide, what, what's going on? And he said, well, when they get in there, what they're going to do is many of them will get on the ground and they'll start rolling around on the ground because they believe that their gods and goddesses are distant from them. And they have to try to get their gods and their goddesses' attention by getting into a trance, a meditative state, and then by rolling around on the ground and preparing themselves. That's the only way they can get God to hear them because they believe their God is way over there. But the God of the Bible says, I'm actually right here. On that same trip to India, we were driving around, and there were, there were little, um, almost like kiosks with fences around them, about this size of this little stage I'm preaching on, and they would have a, a god or a goddess statue inside this fenced-in area. And I watched as people drove by, they would throw money into these little statued areas. And so I asked our guide, well, why are they throwing money into these areas with these gods and goddesses? And they said, well, they don't believe that, that God hears them, and so they're paying God, and they're giving to God, not out of gratitude for what God has already done, but to get God's attention. It's like a drive-by offering, which I thought, well, there's some, that, that could work, you know? <laughs> Dri- drive-by generosity, that could be, not, I thought, no. But it wasn't, it wasn't out of gratitude for what God had already done. They didn't give generously because God had generously given to them. They were giving to try to get their God's attention because they believe their gods and their goddesses are, are distant and far away and uncaring and unloving. But the God of the Bible has always, from the very beginning, been a God that says, I, I love you and I see you and I want to give you access to myself. The very first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis, and, and it starts off with these words, in the beginning, and then it talks about this creative God who's so big and vast that God just speaks a word. It says the word spoke. God spoke, just speaks a word, and the earth came into being. It's, it talks about this God who, before there was a here, God was here. Before there was existence, God existed, and God chose to speak, and when he spoke, the world formed, and there were oceans and lakes and dry land, and and there were plants, and there were creepy crawly things, and there were animals, and and there there was a sun and moon and stars. He creates this whole big vast thing, and then God, at the height of God's creative juices, like an artist designing the perfect place, at the height of his creative juices, God, God said this. He said, and let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, 
He created him. Male and female, God created them. God's like a master artist, and at the height of his creativity, he thought about you, and he said, I'm going to make you with my thumbprint in my image, male and female. And most of us would look at what God did there, and he did. He made a man and a woman in his image, and he placed them in this garden. And most of us would say, well, it's enough for God who's that big and that vast to create a perfect place for people to live and then just leave them there and walk away. That would be enough so that they could just admire the artist's work for the rest of their lives. But God wasn't even close to done yet because God is all access. And so what God did was said, I'm not going to leave you and walk away. I'm not, I'm not the God who set a timer and then walked away to watch the world unwind on its own. And God actually came into the garden and he walked with the man and the woman and he talked to them and he shared life with them. And they, they looked at the animals and they said, well, what do you think about that one? Well, that's great. That makes sense. That makes sense. Looked at the platypus and it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Because God wanted to give them access. And then Genesis chapter 3 tells us that the whole thing goes sideways when the man and the woman choose to do what the Bible calls sin. And if you're new to Christianity, you can think of sin simply like this. It's the things that, that we think or say or do that hurt us, that hurt the people that we love, and ultimately that alienate and separate us from a perfect God. Because that's imperfection and God is perfect. And listen, I don't have to tell you about about your sin, because you lay in bed at night sometimes, and you've thought to yourself, I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to be with her. I'm never going to look at that. I'm never going to spend all my money on that, because it's hurting me. It's hurting the people I love, and if there is a God, and the jury might still be out for you, I I know that that's not what God has. So you already know what sin is, and this man and this woman, they chose to sin, and their sin had the same root that all of our sin has, they simply stopped trusting in God. Stopped trusting his goodness, stopped trusting his care, stopped trusting his plan, and they choose to take their lives into their hands, and they made a mess of it. And the minute they did it, they, they were separated from each other, and they lost the all-access pass to God. And that's where I want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God was, was there for a visit to hang out with the people that he loved, that he had created, to, to have this access with them. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And, and I don't want you to miss this. Underline it, circle it, put an emoticon next to it, whatever you got to do. He says, I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked. So I, and circle this, I hid. So I hid. Have, have you ever played hide-and-seek with little kids? I love playing. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I love playing hide-and-go-seek with little kids because little kids have horrible spatial awareness. <laughs> For example, I'll play with Landon, my three-year-old, and we'll play hide-and-seek, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. He will literally see something like this music stand, and he'll hide behind it. He'll like this. He's like, like oh, he's never going to see me. This is great. This is great. I'm like, dude, you hide? Really? Okay. So I walk into the room, right? And I do what you do when you play hide and seek with little kids. What do you do? You see the kid immediately because they're horrible. But you say, what do you, you say? Where are you? Huh. So I say, wow, where's Landon? What a, he could be anywhere. What a great hiding spot. And then I'll, 
I'll leave the room for a minute, you know, and he's hiding and he just laughs. He goes, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know where I am. <laughs> and then he gets impatient. I love this. About 20 seconds later, he's like, dad, dad. <laughs> he just hit puberty. Yeah. <laughs> dad. Hey, dad. And so I'll run in, right? And I was like, oh, whoa. Like he's, oh, he's like, oh. Landon, where are you? Landon, I can't find you. What a great hiding spot. And then all of a sudden, he'll jump up. and Here I am. It's like, oh, yes. Why didn't I think to look there? That's amazing. I love playing hide-and-seek with little kids because they have no spatial awareness, and they hide in the most ridiculous places ever. And, And you know it. We can always see them, but we always call out, where are you? Where are you? Why? Because we want to make them active participants in the game, right? It's no fun to walk in and say, hey, dummy, I see you. It's a music stance. Not a challenge. No. Because we want our kids to feel involved. Now, do you ever wonder when you read Genesis chapter 3, why God, who just got done creating the whole world and putting each tree right where it belonged in bushes and plants and animals and making the man and the woman, do you ever wonder why he walks through the garden and he's like, huh, where are you? It's like there's a naked dude and a naked lady hiding behind a tree. I, I think, where, I wonder where they went. No, no. God, he knew exactly where they were. He's God. So why, do you ever wonder, why does he call out? Why does he call out? Well, I think, I wonder about this stuff. I ask these kind of questions. I hope you do too when you read your Bible. Why would, that's weird. What? Why would he do that? I think it's because God wanted to give them a chance to be active participants in their relationship with him. See, they had, they'd they'd sinned. They'd separated themselves from God. They'd lost the all-access pass. They were in the nosebleed section, and God's the artist, and he's saying, saying, where are you? So they can say, man, we blew it. We want to come back. We want to have a relationship with you. We want to hang out with you again. We missed that, but but man, we're scared of you, and so we're, we're hiding He wants to give them that relationship, and and they do. They come out. But I'm telling you, the rest of the Bible, and actually the story of humanity, your story and my story, is the story of a cosmic game of hide and seek. It's the the game of, of a God who created us and knows us and loves us, but we choose to sin, and when we sin, we lose that relationship with God. God never intended for any of us to live alone. He wanted to have a relationship with you from the very beginning. But when we sin, we... We lose that all-access pass, and we're afraid, and we're shameful, and so we hide from God, and God walks around the streets like a father looking for a runaway child, walking through the streets, looking in the alley, saying, where are you? Where are you? Come out. I have so much more for you. I have so much better for you. The life I have planned for you, oh, you have have no idea. But, But we hide. We hide. And the story of the Bible is a, is a cosmic game of hide and seek with a loving Heavenly Father who's looking for His people. And why do we hide from God? It's the same reason that the man and the woman hid from God. We're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of, of what God will think. We're afraid that if we actually pour ourselves into a relationship with God, that He might not actually be there. We're afraid of what God might ask us to stop doing. We're afraid of what God might ask us to start doing. We're afraid of what God might ask us to to give up. 
A lot of us are, are afraid that we have missed out on the life we were created to live. Some of us are afraid that our past disqualifies us from God's future for our lives. And we're afraid, and so we hide in really, really bad hiding spots. Alcohol and drugs and relationships and, and spending money and material. We just hide in all sorts of stuff that doesn't actually ever satisfy us. And all the while, the story of the Bible is that God keeps saying to us, come back to me, come back to me. I want to have a relationship with you. You're not, you're not meant to go through life alone. I want to give you all access to me. But by the time Jesus came on the scene, this is what we're going to look at for the rest of our time today. By the time Jesus came on the scene, by the time he came into the world, this game of hide-and-go-seek had gone on for so long, for so many years, that at this point there was 400 years of silence like Justin talked about. And at this point, the people, they looked at God as some distant ruler. He was distant, far from them. And, and they saw God as impersonal. And everyone was terrified of God. Here, here's what a church service looked like in the temple. The temple was, was kind of the pinnacle, the place to have worship. And everyone, every Jew would travel there at certain points throughout the year. Uh, there were little smaller churches called synagogues, but there was this one temple. And inside the temple, there was the belief that only certain people could have access to God, like, like full access to God. And only on certain days of the year, only the priests could go into God. And so there was this area that was curtained off where God was. And, and there was a tradition, a Jewish tradition, that that what they would do for the priest when it was their time to go in is they would tie a rope around the priest's waist, and he would go in through the curtain. And the reason they tied the rope around his waist is they were pretty sure that if he got in there and, and he was, was unholy and he had sinned, that he would fall over dead. And they tied the rope so that they could yank him out and bury him because no one else could go into God's presence. That's how scared they were of God. Now imagine walking into church and that being the case, right? You walk in, there's a, a curtain here, uh, you all sit down, we're very quiet, and then I walk up, and you tie a rope around me because you're pretty sure uh, I'm going to die if I see God. And I walk in, it's silent, there's a curtain, you don't see anything, and I'm doing my business for God on our behalf, and you either hear this, and you start yanking, or, or I come back out, church is over. Some of you are thinking, I'd be quick. I wouldn't mind that. But there was no access. There was no access to God. And Jesus steps on the scene, and, and here's the thing about Jesus. He had to figure out God, who had created everything, had to figure out how to come to people who were scared of him in a way that didn't terrify them even more. Because the people were terrified that when God came, they would all die if they saw him face to face. Now, God could have chosen on Christmas to just part the skies and come down in all of his power and all of his strength, and he could have just taken the Roman emperor, flicked him off his throne, so there's a new sheriff in town, worship me, and I guarantee you everyone would have bowed down in fear. In fact, the Bible says at the very end of this, this world that God's actually going to come down like that, and everyone will bow down to God when they see the glory of God. But at this point, at this point in the story, if he did that, if he came down, part of the skies, it would be like an alien movie. You'd have people running, ah! And running and screaming and babies on the ground crying. It would be terrifying. It would be terrifying. And God has this, this thing. He has to figure out, how do I come to the people that I love in a way that doesn't push them away? Because we're already playing hide and seek, but pulls them close. And he did something brilliant. This is why I love talking about Jesus. I'll talk about Jesus every day of the week and twice on Sunday, three times when we have services. <laughs> 
John chapter 1, 14 is, is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And the author, he's a, he's a, he's a lyrical genius. And he, he talks about Jesus as the Word or the Word of God. And if we skip down to verse 14, it says this, The Word, Jesus, the Word of God, just sit with this for a second, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling literally means he pitched his tent. He pitched a tent. I was walking into church today, and there were two of these uh, chairs out in the parking lot, just all soaking wet and kind of nasty. So either one of us left them here, or someone thought they were donating, or someone thought that it was just a good dump drop-off. I don't know. But these chairs were here, and I almost threw your chair away. If it's you, I'm sorry. I'd like to keep this for the rest of the day, though. I almost threw the chairs away, and then I realized, wait a minute, I, I, I could use this. Because what Jesus did when it says he made his dwelling among us, it says that he, it's like he put up a tent in your backyard. And and I love camping. I don't know about you guys. I love camping, but camping is kind of dirty. I should say that I love trailering. I love trip, but <laughs> I used to love camping. But vamping is what I think we call it. But, but camping is kind of dirty. And so I got this, this chair, and I kind of pulled it out in the first service. I didn't really know what to expect. But it's wet, and it's musty, and it's mildewy, and it kind of it smells a little bit, and there were leaves on it earlier. But it's like Jesus decided to trade the glory of heaven that was perfect, I mean perfect, to come and put up a tent and sit in a stinky camp chair and say, hey, let's come sit around the fire. Let's talk. How you doing? It's like he came into your backyard and said, hey, I'm setting up shop. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to be here for a while. And it was dirty and stinky and musty. But Jesus thought it was worth it. And God, who's big, 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 big God, became small, small, small. God, who had created the world, who was here before anything was here, who made you and, and made me, God became flesh with muscle and skin and bones and organs and blood. And he didn't come as a full-grown adult. He came as a baby. Just think about that for a second. Unless you're a first-time dad, there's nothing less terrifying than a baby. If you're a first-time dad, this analogy does not work because you're terrified of your child. But there's nothing less terrifying than a baby. Babies are, are cute and cuddly and soft. They don't exactly command power and respect, and authority. Now think about this. If you're God, and you have to come to people who are already terrified of you, how do you get from heaven to them? John says that he pitched his tent and became a baby. Why? To give us access to God. And, and church, if we're in danger of anything this Christmas as a community, we're in danger that that miracle could fall on deaf ears because we just hear it too many times. Because we hear it too many times. But listen, that is one of the greatest miracles. That miracle of him, God, becoming a baby, and the miracle of God raising from the dead are the two greatest miracles in the history of the world. So on Christmas, we get to celebrate and sing and have joy and laughter 
because God approached us in the most non-threatening way that God could. Because he's creative, because God is brilliant. So God became a baby. So that we would not run from him and continue the stupid game of hide and seek, but so that we could run to him. And I wonder, what would these next four days leading up to Christmas look like for you? If you really believed at, at your heart, at your core, that you had all access to God, that you didn't have to run from him, but you could run to him. What would, what would it look like? What would it look like? What, what would that extended family Christmas party look like if you knew that you had complete access to God and you had the power of God to actually know when to speak and when to shut up? What would that look like for your family? That God actually gave you the power to not, to not take the bait when your brother-in-law tries to tempt you, but just to sit there and smile. Say, huh, that's an interesting thought. What would that look like to know that God gave you the power to respond well to your family at Christmas? What, what would it look like for those of us, and I know there are some of us in a room this size, who Christmas just feels lonely. It just feels lonely. What would it look like to know this Christmas that you have all access to God? And in that moment, whether it's the 23rd after the services are over or the morning of the 24th, when you feel totally alone, what would it look like for you to know that in that moment you have complete access to God, that he's there, that he sees you and loves you and he's wrapping his arms around you and saying, let's celebrate together the day that I put my folding chair in your backyard. What would that look like? What would it look like in these days leading up to Christmas to know that when God gave his life on a cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and he forgave you of your sin, not because you deserved it, but because of his great love. And how would that change the way that you looked at that person in your life who you're going to see this week, whether it's at a work party or at a family gathering? How would it change the person who has wronged you horribly, who has hurt you deeply? How would it change the way you viewed them to know that God has completely forgiven you and had grace on you when you did not deserve it? Would it give you a little extra grace for them, even though they might not deserve it? What would it look like to know that you have an all-access pass to God? As we wrap up, I have just two questions to ask. One would be this. Have you taken advantage of your all-access pass to God? Have you moved from keeping God at arm's length to inviting God in to your life? Have you moved from being a spectator in the cheap seats of life to having a backstage pass with the one who created you and knows you. At Christmas, man, that's the greatest gift that God could give to you. And maybe you're here for the first time in a while because I know the holidays are a time when we think, man, I ought to go to church. I feel a little obligated. I feel a little guilty. If that's you, I want to tell you, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. I am so glad you're here. I love seeing my friends who we only get together every once in a while. It's like a family reunion. I, I love it. But here's what I would say to you, and I think here's what God would say to you. You don't have to be a casual spectator in your faith, in your relationship with God. You can have a regular, ongoing, all-access relationship, and every moment you come in, God is here, and he's ready for you. You don't have to just come on Christmas or Easter. You could come all the time and encounter a God who knows you and loves you and has great plans for you. Have you taken advantage of your all-access pass? And then my second question is this. Do you know someone, and in your heart you just wish they they knew that they had an all-access pass to God, but they just don't know. They just don't know. My guess is every single one of us does because something like 94% of the people in our community don't know that they have access to God like we're talking about today. 
Do you have a friend and you wish they knew about God? I want to tell you, we've designed our rock and Christmas services for you to be amazing for you. You're going to love it. It's going to set the stage for Christmas. We're going to have fun. Uh, we're creative. It's going to be disarming. It's going to be exciting. But we've also created it as a space for you to invite your friends who don't know that they have access to God to come and feel at home and feel welcomed and experience access, experience the invitation to come and know Jesus. And it could not just be a great time that night. It could be a life-changing event for so many of our friends. Do you have a friend who you wish they knew? Bring them to Rockin' Christmas. Bring them to Rockin' Christmas. We've got postcards. Oh, look at that. Look at that. My subtle messaging right there. We've got postcards. I knew I wouldn't lose that if I had my coffee cup. For our Rockin' Christmas services, what if you just grabbed one, gave it to a friend in the next few days, and said, hey, do you want to come with me? And then you went whenever day they could go. We have one on the 23rd at 6.30. We have the same one on the 24th at 5.30. We always have somewhere between 800 uh, and 900, and I'm always praying for 1,000 people to come to these services because it's, it's just life-changing. It's life-changing. It's fun. It's exciting. It's life-changing. What if you just invited them? We're going to have out in the lobby hot cider when you come in. People are going to be serving you hot cider just welcoming you. We're going we're gonna to have live music uh, probably out there in here. We're going to have a photo booth that we're calling our, our Elfie Selfie, our Elfie Selfie. And you can take, we'll take pictures of you on your phone and then we're, you can hashtag it and it'll go right up onto these screens so you can see with your, with your Christmas outfit and your antlers. We're going to have all the props for you. Elfie Selfie, that's going to be fun. I'm trying to convince our student, Pastor Jake, to wear his Buddy the Elf costume for Elfie Selfie. Yeah, can I get, a, can I get an amen? Yeah, that'd be fun. Good. Really pressure him. That'll be very fun. I like that with my staff team. Let's really give it to them. Uh, it's just going to be so fun. We've got some surprises that I won't tell you about because I just want you to come in fresh and experience it, but it's going to be the perfect place. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the phenomenon that happens in the weeks leading up to Christmas, that we all raised our hands to acknowledge that the weeks leading up to Christmas, it seems like there's no peace. We're rushing, 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 going, 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 and then something happens, and it's all, it borders on miraculous, even if you're not a person of faith. I believe it is miraculous that on Christmas Day, around the world, for some reason, we take a collective, a deep breath. And sometimes it's just for a moment or an hour or a day, and sometimes it spreads into the 26th. But for just a moment, we have peace. And I'm, I'm exploring the question, what is it? What is it about Christmas that gives us that ah, moment? I'm calling the message, peace out. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so come, so come. Bring your friends. It's going to be great. I want to close in prayer. And if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, here's what it looks like to him right now. I just want you to know. Here's what this looks like. You're doing this. So I, don't, I don't think he sees me. And God's saying, I, I see you. I see you. And guess what? I love you. But I want to give you the opportunity to say, here I am. I'm not going to force you out. I'm not a mean dad who says, hey, I see you, dummy. I'm more like a loving father who says, where are you? Where are you? That's fun. So that you can say, here I am, God. Here I am. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to say, here I am to God. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, today's the day for you. So let's pray together. If you're ready to make that decision, you can repeat these simple words after me, just saying, here I am to God, moving him from arm's length, into your life. Just repeat these words. Say, say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me and I believe that you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. 
Today I say yes. Yes, I want to accept the invitation of an all-access pass. Yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? God, would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like every day to have a relationship with you? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.